What does a three-letter formula, a story about a hospital during a wildfire and a water bottle have to do with lockdowns, politics, masks, isolation, homeschooling, how to take your power back in your personal and professional life so that you are well-rested more and more, that you're more present, that you're more fulfilled, that you're recognized and you're respected and you're rewarded in your professional life. Hi, I'm Daryl Black, and if we haven't met before, I've spent over 30 years in crisis leadership and uh, emergency management and project management, and I help leaders like you, entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs, executives, and corporate managers take the lessons that I've learned in those environments and allow you or help you amplify the po positive results in your personal and professional lives so that, like I said, you're respected, you're rewarded, you're recognized. I'm also the creator of a method called the Critical Path Leadership Method, and that involves three key pillars, one of which we're going to focus on today. One pillar is leadership mindset. The second is positively influencing others, because let's face it, leadership is all about influence. And the third is what I call minimal viable effort, making the most impact with the least amount of effort in the least amount of time. Well, today's topic will be around the leadership mindset. Now stick around to the end because I'll be giving you three specific strategies and method that will allow you to take your power back and handle anything that work or your life at home throws your way. Now, I remember like it was yesterday, a gentleman by the name of Tom, we had gone to uh, a location in, in the northern part of our province. A huge wildfire had ripped through the area. And, Tens of thousands of people have been evacuated. Now, one of the criteria for reentry, in other words, how do we how do we know when it's safe for people that have previously been evacuated, the residents, how do we know that it's safe for them to return to their homes? And there are a number of conditions typically that are needing to be in place or criteria for people to come back and, uh, for instance, working 911, uh, water treatment, or at least availability of uh, clean water. Um, uh, certain pieces of infrastructure in place in terms of groceries and, and gas stations and those sorts of things. But one of, obviously, a, a big critical part of that is a working hospital. So not only, only is it important to have 911 service, but somewhere to take patients that are acutely ill or uh, you know facing chronic conditions and so on and so forth. So I remember the conversation. And we hadn't heard anything about the, the hospital at this particular, in the city. And so I was talking to the uh, health authority representative, Tom, and I said, hey, Tom, like, have we heard anything about the hospital yet? Because frankly, we had assumed that it just, it wasn't impacted by the fire. You know, the fire had gone somewhere else. And so we just kind of assumed, at least I did, say, well, let's go kick those doors open. Let's give it a clean and a wash and, and check there's the criteria we've got a working hospital in place well so tom's like no i i don't know what the status is so he sent a couple of inspectors to check the hospital out and again it was kind of like a almost like an afterthought for lack of a better word in that it was a foregone conclusion that that day we would be able to you know essentially have a hospital at least starting to get back online so the day goes by and uh you know the, the the late morning arrives and still no word 
so I tracked Tom down. I was like, hey, Tom, have you talked to anybody from the hospital or from, from your, your team? He's like, no, you know, I, I'm going to follow up with them right now. So he goes away. He phones or makes contact with them. And a few minutes later, he comes back and his face is white and he's exasperated. I'm like, ooh, that's not good. Well, the reality is he wasn't doing so well. He looks at me. He's like, Daryl, I, I got bad news. It's bad. I'm like, what? What's going on? It's like, well, the hospital, it, yeah, it's safe from fire, but it suffered smoke damage. And in particular, the areas that are highly susceptible to any kind of particulate or contaminants, the ORs, were also contaminated. Therefore, we essentially didn't have a working hospital. So what goes from the the assumption that we're just going to open the door, scrub some walls and, and you know, air the place out uh, goes from, from there to now, oh boy, now what? Now what? So I remember looking at him and I said, well, Tom, we need it. We need it open. So go back and Let's figure it out. What will it take to get that thing back up and running? And I gave a timeline. Let's do 30 days. Let's do 45 days. Let's do 60 days. So he went away and he came up with a, an estimate. And, and uh, while it was extremely expensive, it was time consuming. It was something that had to be done. Now, I say that point because it demonstrates something very, very important that we're going to talk about a little bit later. I totally get it. 2020 now into 2021 has really been characterized by low grade anxiety. We've got hyper vigilance around wearing a mask. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but even now there's still the odd time I'll walk into somewhere and, or at least start to walk into somewhere and having forgot my mask or whatever that, that looks like, or, you know, I, I'm way more forgetful. And this has been very, very common, a common trait characteristic of a bunch of people that I've spoken to. They, they'll walk into a room and just having, and just forget what they were doing. And it's, it's rampant. And, and then we've got situations where maybe we're being a little bit more short with our, our kids or our teammates or, or our partner or whatever that is. And then let's layer on some shame and some guilt and, and some anger and frustration around that saying, boy, you know, I really shouldn't have, uh, shouldn't have snapped like that. And, and I get it. I get it. And it just becomes this issue of over and over and over and over again. Victor Frankl, he was, uh, he wrote man's search for meaning. It was his experience from the Holocaust. He talks about something incredibly profound that we're, we are going to talk more about. And that is between stimulus and the reaction or the response, there's a space. And it's within that space that we as human beings control our destiny, control our fate and really drive results that we want, or in some cases don't want. Now I'm going to challenge you on something. People don't cause us stress. People don't make us angry. People don't make us frustrated. Events don't stress us out. Events don't frustrate us. Conversely, flipping that around, events and people don't make us happy. Events and people don't make us joyful anything like that. And while it's a slight nuance that we're going to talk about, 
it is very, very important because if you can grasp the concepts that we're going to be talking about, and if you stick around to the end, we'll be talking about three simple strategies, a method, if you will, that will that will really take what we're talking about and allow you to to take your power back, no matter what the situation is. Some a saying that I've heard oftentimes is we have to give people permission to make them make us feel a certain way. And I really agree, agree with that. Where again, going back to what I just talked about, if somebody makes me angry, well, guess what? I have the ability, I can make a choice not to be angry. Is it easy? No, of course not. Is it is it simple? No. Does it take some work? Yes, absolutely it does. But we do have that ability again to, to take our power back. So how do I do that? You know, ultimately, how do we do that? Because there are so many things in this in this world of ours that will cause a trigger response and a lot of times a trigger is a conditioned response it's a it's an emotion it's neural pathways that have been created in our brain we 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 we've got super highways and depending on how often we trigger that how often we fire that particular network um it could be very very difficult to break out of patterns so an example could be i know for me so my my dad will phone and uh, he's having inevitable tech problems, tech problems that I would submit to you. I've talked to him about a zillion times and uh, some of the same issues keep recurring. So my first response used to be, and it still is to a certain extent, extent. <sighs> okay, here we go. This should be interesting or man, why he just doesn't just doesn't get it. It's, it's really, really simple. Now, to be clear, I fully expect that same conversation to happen between Hunter and I when I'm older. So I am acting with grace and compassion towards everyone involved. So I want to talk about this water bottle that I've been referring to in the lead up to this. And it is a good analogy for stress because if we can understand how we act under stress and because it, it really speaks to our trigger response in a lot of cases. Now, conversely, we can be triggered for happiness and joy, absolutely. But in this context, I'm talking about those negative emotions, the, the negative interactions, the, the days that just don't get better after somebody cut you off in traffic or whatever that is when we could drive, remember that? So I'm holding here a water bottle. Now, if you picture the water bottle, um, it is the, the entirety of the water bottle involves our capacity to perform a task. Now, let's say that it's full of water, or at least three quarters full of water, let's say. So we start to introduce dirt into the water bottle here. So the water, the dirt goes into the water and that dirt is representative of stress. Now that stress can be um, uh, operational. So maybe it's job related, something like, uh, financial, imp or, uh, it, it's somebody really ticking you off in the moment. It's, uh, you know, a particular interaction or just uh, no clarity from your boss, whatever that looks like. Okay. So that's kind of operational or job related stress, but the dirt also is representative of what we call background stress. So background stress is what we've been experienced. I would submit to you over the past year or so. And those are all of the things that really you can't put a finger on specifically. It's not an acute issue. It's not a specific 
issue or incident or interaction. It is just this cacophony and and and, and just a, a blob of negativity and anxiety. And I've again, I've called it low grade anxiety. So that starts to go into the bottle as well. So as we continue to experience stress, whether it be the, the operational or job related or background stress, all of that dirt goes into the water bottle and that dirt starts to rise in the bottle and therefore it starts to diminish or um, decrease our ability to perform, our capacity to perform. Because now there's starting to get more dirt in the water bottle and less water, for example. So now what starts to happen is we get this dirt going into it. And then a couple things, one of which, like I said, our capacity to perform starts to decrease. But let's say that something triggers us. We have an interaction, whatever that might be. So I am talking to a teammate and somebody that I support and they haven't maybe got information to you on time. Well, this is what starts to happen is there's just a little shakeup now that happens. And that dirt that was previously at the bottom of the water bottle now goes up into the water and clouds it. It clouds that water. So there's no longer clarity around it. There's no longer uh, rational thinking, for example. So that's all well and fine as long as it's not our default, right? So this, but because after time that, that dirt should, should subside and no longer cloud the water and your clarity is back. Well, there's a few things to that that we'll talk about towards the end. Now, if we continue to allow stress in, we pour more dirt in, a couple things happen. One, our capacity to perform gets even more diminished and it takes even less for us to get triggered and cloud that water. Now, I am a huge advocate that if we handle stress better in the moment, we will have better long-term results in terms of stress management moving forward. And what I mean by that is we'll have less um, chronic issues around our immune system. We will have less digestive issues. Our body is not designed to be running at stressful levels for a prolonged period of time. Now, when I talk about that, that little shakeup, oftentimes what it's associated with is what's called an amygdala hijack. In simple terms, our amygdala is like our, our alarm. It's our smoke detector in our brain. And it is designed and it does its job really, really well to warn us. It is there to evaluate risk and, and, and reward and danger and all that stuff. It, it's the canary in the coal mine. What's unique about the amygdala, unlike any other kind of part of our brain, is it is very well connected, very well connected to all of our senses. So it is wired directly into our optic nerve. It is wired into our, our olfactory system, our auditory system, our, our, our kinesthetic, all of that. Those inputs, while from all those senses, while they do go back into certain parts of the brain, the amygdala has its hooks into the um, into all of those parts of the brain too. But it actually has kind of like a side road, and so as a stimulus comes in, it does go through the amygdala. It gets evaluated in terms of is this thing dangerous or not. Now, if the amygdala, for example, detects some sort of a danger. 
it sends off the alarms and those alarms enact or, or invoke physiological, neurological, biological, hormonal, whatever chemical uh, responses in our body. One of the ones that it does is it dumps adrenaline into our system. Now, adrenaline is responsible for uh, our, our um, it will increase our heart rate, it will dilate our pupils, it will start to enact certain things around our blood flow, uh, all sorts of things like that, in addition to cortisol and all, just a, a cocktail of, of hormones and chemicals get dumped into our system. And that really is all about fight or flight or freeze. We've, we've heard of that, fight, flight, or freeze. And that is because the amygdala says there's some sort of a danger in place here. So in our water bottle analogy, what happens there is the amygdala hijack happens, the water gets shaken, dirt starts to cloud, and we no longer have the clarity that we need to do complex or even sometimes simple functions. Because the other part of this thing is our higher brain functions, our prefrontal cortex starts getting ignored. Because in a survival situation, it's not about the square root of 64, or if I do this, then that. It's about survival. It's about dealing with the immediate threat. It's about actual tunnel vision. It's about blocking things out and filtering, which is ironic because it's oftentimes the things that, that are in our environment that will solve our problem. So that's what we call the amygdala hijack, and it is instantaneous, and it is virtually impossible to stop. So with that in mind, it's important to recognize that that's great. It's in place for a reason. We can't do anything about it in the second, but there are things that we can do to quickly get that control back and invoke what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, PNS, which is the antidote, the antibody, the, the antithesis, if you will, of our flight, uh, fight or flight. So again, if we get better at handling stress in the moment will have less long-term effects moving forward. So we've got this, this prefrontal cortex that has really served us well as humans, but we no longer have access to it in the same way. And so it's no wonder that we fly off the handles like we do. It's no wonder that we have bad interactions, just boom, like that. Because remember, as we've been accumulating stress, the dirt, clouds, but then it falls to the bottom of the water bottle. It's still there. It's still there. Broadly speaking, again, going back to now, how do we handle this? Well, there's two broad strategies around how we're going to handle it. There's what we call problem-focused strategies. So that's a, that's a strategy that we would employ to deal with the stress itself. So I have an immediate issue. It's causing me stress or it's giving me feelings of stress. And we'll talk about that here shortly. And so I can go handle that. I will go figure out what the solution to that particular problem is. That's a problem-focused strategy, and that works really, really well. Well, the other strategy, again, in a very, uh, very broad fashion, is what we call an emotion-focused strategy. This is where things get really interesting, because an emotion-focused strategy is one that you have to employ if you can't handle the source of the stress itself. Okay, so. Q, lockdown, restrictions, homeschooling, working from home, financial challenges if you can't solve them, uh, aging parents, something like that. That's that emotion-focused strategy that's, that, that's needing to be deployed to handle that because I can't fix certain parts of what I just described there. 
Okay. So this introduces us to what we can actually do about it. The reason that you're here, the reason that you're listening, the reason that you're watching, I can tell you what this technique and, and the, this strategy and this method is not, it is not, I have an event and that leads to an outcome. Okay. So I have an event and it meet, leads to an outcome almost automatically. That is not what we're talking about here, because as we talked about, just like Viktor Frankl said, we have some ability to respond and not react. Key points there. So it's not just a binary, I have an event that happens and an outcome. It's not toxic positivity. Like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I come across people that, I, hey, I'm all about positivity. But I'm also really trying to temper that with some realism and some practicality and some pragmatism. So I think we've all met people that are be like, oh, everything's amazing. Everything's fantastic. Everything's like just I'm over the moon, excited and happy. Well, again, I get it and, and more power to you. But a lot of times that denotes uh, maybe a blissful detachment from the reality of the situation. And I'm also a huge advocate of what we call the law of polarity. Law of polarity says to experience one emotion, let's call it positive, we have to have the opposite emotion, which is a negative. Maybe it's fear, it's frustration, it's, it's loss, it's anguish, it's whatever that is. And so that for us to, to experience the richness of life, to, to experience joy and happiness, we have to know the opposite of that. We have to know that what it's like to have suffered loss, because then we can appreciate, we can do gratitude. We have to appreciate um, sadness so that we can see what, what joy is about. We need to be able to experience connection with another person to, um, but, but temper that, temper that with loneliness so that we can see the contrast. And that's what we call law of polarity. So this, it's not about toxic positivity because there are, so there are problems that you have to solve. It's called being human. Now, the other part of this is that through what we call metacognition, again, we're throwing all sorts of words at you. Metacognition is so important for us as human beings because we have the ability to think about what we think and how to think. Metacognition. That's what makes us the apex on this planet, right? It, it, it's unique to humans. It, it's what gives us our human experience. So what that means is I can think about what I think. I can, I can think about how I feel. And I can choose, I can make a decision to change that tremendously, tremendously valuable. And that is what we're going to be leveraging here. So here's the equation. It's not, I have an event and I have an outcome. It's I have an event plus R, which is a response. I have an event, I have a response equals the outcome. So, so important. Now in our leadership Academy, we get into more detail about this formula, but also a, a more in-depth self-coaching model. But essentially what we're talking about is, is I have something that happens. We have the hospital that is not open, which we had actually predicted would be open. Well, I chose to respond in that moment, not with frustration, anger, or anything like that. I responded with a resignation, but also a resolve to say, okay, it is what it is. 
I can't change the event, but I can change how I respond to that. So I have resolve. I now receive clarity around what we need to do. So going back to the water bottle, there was a split second of that emotion of like, oh shoot, that sucks. Okay, so the clouding of the water bottle, but then very, very quickly I realized, okay, I need to respond to this and not react. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to do an assessment on it. We need to evaluate, we need to get approvals, all of those other things. And then that leads to the outcome that I ultimately wanted to see, which in this particular case was the hospital being open in a timely fashion. The hospital story can be in your own life. It could be the interaction with a spouse. It can be an interaction with a teammate. It can be any of those kinds of things that you've had the event and you need to be able to respond to it. So let's get into a bit more detail. And just as I'm going through this, it's kind of funny. I was reminded about, um, you know, it, it, it's not about head in head in the sand, right? I've heard that before. Is like, like we can't ignore our problems. Totally agree. Totally agree. But that that led me to think about if anyone remembers Monty Python, uh, search for the Holy Grail and the, the knight, and uh, and he loses an arm in this sword battle, and uh, he's like, no, it's okay, it's okay. He loses his other arm and ah, merely a flesh wound. Terrible. British accent. I apologize for that. And uh, pretty soon, I think he loses a leg. And then and, and all the way through, like now he's hopping and he's like, merely a flesh wound. Let's fight. Let's fight. So we're not talking about that by any stretch of the imagination. You still have to figure out, you still have to have that sword fight. You still have to go to, go to battle and solve your problems. So just remember that. So when we talk about the, the equation, the E, so you have the event, you have the response that you add to it, and then that drives the outcome ultimately. So how do we actually do that? How do we get there? How do we get to the point where we can have an event and then add that, that positive response to it, not the reaction, but the response, and then come up with a positive outcome? Well, I'm here to introduce you to a B triple R method. Okay. So B and then three R's. As a lot of you know, if you've worked with me before, I'm a huge fan of methods and frameworks and all of those other things. And remember, minimal viable effort, making the most impact in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort. So it involves the, the B is breathe. Okay. Breathe. Yes. It's so simple. Now I'm not talking about just taking a breath. I'm talking about breathe in. And what that does without going into a ton of detail is that will start to invoke a, um, uh, the, that parasympathetic nervous system that we talked about. It will stimulate the vagus nerve and it will actually trigger physiologically the, the hormones that are the, uh, like a parachute, if you will, or a brake pedal. And it will bring that stress response back into, uh, back in, it'll, it'll eliminate it essentially. So in the water bottle analogy, so we've shaken the water up, the water has become clouded with the dirt. Well, the taking a deep breath will stop that amygdala hijack from happening. Okay. That's all it takes. Maybe two breaths. Okay. Maybe two breaths, deep breaths. So that's the B part of it. And then we can start to respond. We can start to respond now, not just react. So we've stopped that amygdala hijack. Now part of the response part of this equation is now we can reframe. So what reframing is, is, is it's simple in that I am not stressed. Okay. 
I am not frustrated. I am not concerned. I am not worried. Here's the, the, the tweak, the nuance. I am having feelings of stress. I am having feelings of frustration. I am having feelings of worry. Okay. Here's the difference. Yeah, sure. It sounds like wordsmithing, but neurologically from an NLP perspective and, and, and all sorts of other things, it, it makes a huge difference because what you do with the reframe is I am having feelings of stress. You immediately become detached from the emotion. I am not stressed. I am actually a human being. So what you do is you take that stress, that, that feeling of stress and you separate it from you which means you can now look at it objectively. You can now divorce yourself from it. You can handle it. You can look at it. You can employ other strategies to handle it. But right away, that gives you power. Because remember, metacognition, we have the ability to think about how we think. We have the ability to think about how we feel. Now, we don't have the same control over our emotions in the, in the moment, right? That amygdala hijack, for example. That's tough to break, if not impossible. But we can reframe right away and separate those two things and look at it and now start to massage it and work it through metacognition. So we've got the breathe, we've got the reframe. Now remind yourself, this is the other R, remind yourself who do you want to be? Who do you want to be as a leader? Do you want to be someone that is respectful, that is empathetic, somebody that is compassionate, somebody that is calm. So think about that. Remind yourself, who do you want to be as a leader? Respectful, empathetic, whatever that looks like. That is your opportunity to remind yourself of who you want to be. So we've breathed. So we stopped that amygdala hijack. We have reframed it now. Hey, I'm not stressed out. I'm having feelings of stress. Now remind yourself, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be as a leader, as a partner, as a coach, as whatever that might look like? And then the last R is reset. Okay. The last R is reset. Reset. We've got breathe. We've got reframe. We've got remind. And last but not least is reset. Olympic athletes are really good at this. If you watch the Olympics or any, any kind of sports, but Olympics, it shows very, very quickly because you could have, say, an Olympic swimmer in the morning in a heat, and uh, that swimmer may have finished third, for example, in, or fourth, fourth in a particular event. but And so off the podium, they didn't get a medal, which sucks because that's your entire existence is 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 pushing towards receiving a medal. So they, they stay off the podium for say the, the 200 meter, whatever the event is. But then later on that day in the afternoon, they have to now become part of the team for a relay, for example, in the pool. So they have to have the ability to reset very, very quickly and very, very effectively. Goalies in hockey or any other kind of sport like that, if you let in a bad goal, you have to reset as quickly as you possibly can. Otherwise, it will continue to compound. And think about it in your own personal life. How many people have had a situation where you've, you've had a bad interaction and you've allowed it to cloud your whole day, that you've kept that dirt flowing and, and, and spilling around in the water bottle all day when it had nothing to do with the interactions. You had that initial event, you chose to react poorly and that's okay, give yourself some grace. 
and that led to a negative outcome, then reset, reset. But think about the BRRR method, breathe, reframe, remind yourself, and reset. And if you do those four things within that BRRR method, you will see yourself really starting to drive positive results at work, at home, wherever you might be.